This no, on, on that team. note, just one more thing. Uh, sometimes when you have that conversation, uh, also have the conversation of the oppression of the oppressed. Mm. Yes, okay, inshallah. So, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Nahmaduhu wa nasalli ala rasulihi al-kareem. Amma ba'd. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala and we seek blessings upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Okay, so so we've been moving steadily along uh, through this surah, and today we're going to get into some ayat that are speaking about the people of the book. And, and so the essential goal for the completion of all of our discussions is going to be ayah 26 and 27, but first today we are doing, I think it's 23 and 24, yes. So let's do the screen share. Share, click. All right, once again, let me know you can see the screen on your screen, if we're on screen. Yes, somebody nod. Okay, very good. Okay, <clears throat> so so we spoke yesterday about about uh, the plight of those who who reject the ayahs of Allah, and they kill the prophets, and they kill those people who call to what is right towards justice. That whatever they do in this world is completely worthless in the hereafter. Actually, whatever they do is worthless in this world as well as the hereafter. And we'll have no helpers. Now, we are speaking about the people of the book. And so, Alam tara ila utu nasiba min al-kitab. So, have you, did you not observe those who have been given a share from the book? They're invited to the book of Allah so that it may decide between them. Then a group of them goes back, turning their faces away. That is because they have said the fire will not touch us except for a few days. Thus they are deceived in their faith by what they themselves used to invent. Okay. We have similar ayahs in Al-Baqarah uh, saying very, very similar things, but let's, let's try to make sense of what's going on here. So first, when we're speaking, um, what does it mean to be people of the book? What does it mean to have a share of the book? So one understanding here is that the book is one thing that is in the presence of Allah. And different messengers have received different parts of that one book. So think back all the way to the beginning of our discussions in the surah. We said that there are 124,000 prophets and then 313 messengers. And a messenger is a prophet who has all the responsibilities of a prophet. In addition to that, the responsibility to deliver a book. Now, it may not be a physical book. The Quran was not a physical book, but to deliver words. And so one understanding is that there's one book that contains everything. And that is in the possession of Allah, whatever that means. And then, of course, the other understanding is that these are all individual books. So when it says those who have been given a share of the book, one understanding is that they have been given a part of this revelation that is from Allah. The completion is the Quran. And the completion of prophethood is the prophet Muhammad, may peace be upon him. And then on a side note, I don't remember if we discussed this at the beginning of, of Ali Imran, we often speak of Islam being 1400 years old, but if we take it to its full conclusion, Islam is as old as humanity is as old, if not old. Oh yeah, we did discuss it because we raised the question of what, what about the jinns who were here before? And so, so remember that it's Islam is completed 
with the Prophet, peace be upon him, or the way this type of communication between Allah and creation is completed with the Prophet, peace be upon him, including the 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 Quran itself. It didn't begin with with the Prophet. Islam does not begin with the Prophet and the Quran. Okay, <clears throat> so they're invited then to the Book of Allah. So they've been given a share, they're invited to the Book of Allah, and so now what's being understood is that now they're being invited to the completion of it, which is what we had at the beginning of the Surah. If you were to scroll back to the beginning of the Surah, we're, the Quran is stating that Allah is the one who sent down revelation step by step the Quran, and then he also sent down the Torah and the Injil. And so <clears throat> looking at this ayah, what seems to be the context for why they are being invited to the book of Allah. I'll read through the translation again. Uh, have you not noticed those who have been given a portion of the book, whenever their learned men are summoned to the book of Allah to judge the differences between them, a part of them turn away in aversion. So what would be possible context? So it's so what I'm saying here is that it's not merely that they're being called to Islam. What seems to be the context for why they're being called here? Somebody venture a guess. Good, Asim. And To be judged. So it looks like it's some sort of conflict resolution. Atosif, what were you gonna say? Same thing. Yes, that's good. Yeah. And so, so the idea here is that uh, we have other passages in the Quran. We find this especially towards the, just for the end of the first half of Surah Al-Baqarah, that one group says the other group stands at nothing. The other group says the first group stands at nothing, but they both follow the same book. And so even think about within our community, we've been speaking about diversity of opinion. That is not the same as factionalization of opinions. And so we have diversity of opinions where we have different opinions with the agreement that, all right, Allah knows best, or maybe all of these are valid, but then we also have factions of opinions. Now you guys are absolutely wrong. You are right. And so here the call is to turn to the book to help figure out who is right or wrong. Why would people turn away? Mossad, why would people turn away? If they're being called to turn to the book, and you can, you're welcome to type it or speak it. Okay, let's stop typing. Well, stop typing. Anyone else? Why would they be turned away? Why would they turn away from this? The delusion be part of it. thoughts the jews of medina came to mind um when they knew that that is the truth but they kind of hid it because they wanted to maintain their um status mm -hmm. yeah so they didn't want to be exposed so for example if we go to this i find to be really really fascinating aya so through two so those to whom we have given the book recognize him or it, him being the prophet peace be upon him, it being the Quran. 
Ya'arifunahu kema ya'arifuna abna'ahum. They recognize the prophet as well as they recognize their own sons. And so think about it, those of you who've gone on Hajj and those of you who haven't, you can imagine. So let's say you lose your crowd when you're on Hajj. Let's say you lose your son in the big crowd among millions of people. And then every time you see someone who looks like your kid, you're going to think, wait, is that no? Is that no? And then as soon as you see your son, out of a million people, you're going to recognize your son. And then, and then those who had children, you even recognize your child's specific cry out of a room full of cries. You can hear, okay, that's my kid right there. And so at the time of the prophet, peace be upon him, that's how clear it was that he was the prophet. Yet, there were people who were saying, no, um, you know, to the Quraysh, your religion is good enough. Don't change your religion. And so try to, to comprehend uh, this. I mean, we're all familiar with people who are people of religion who do misconduct. But try to make sense of even getting inside that person's mind that, <clears throat> that there are people who are, in theory, calling to the truth in theory, practicing the truth, but in reality, they're not. That it's basically a um, a good source of income. You know, I was I was having a conversation with a, with a friend of mine earlier today um, that we used to joke 10, 15 years ago that if you want to make a lot of money, write a book about how you used to be a Muslim and now you're free. Now, if you can be a charismatic speaker, you know, and present yourself as super pious, you can make a ton of money. So beyond the core reasons of love of dunya, and so he said the desire not to be exposed, why would someone be like this? Right? And and what I'm saying is that it almost seems like a no-brainer that if you're calling people to belief, that you should be believing everything that you're preaching and such. So what do you think? Do you think it's just as simple as, well, this is a lucrative career. I'll tell the people what they need to hear. What do you think? Why do they behave in the manner they do um, despite being in, showing themselves as leaders and calling to the right things and, and that sort of thing? Mm-hmm. Meaning knowing that there is some deceit that is involved and that they are yeah. going to have to face God. Maybe like yeah, the, the, uh, giving into the lower nafs, you know, that Amaratum uh, Bisu, like that uh, nafs that inclines to, you know, or maybe the, 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 the knowledge hasn't penetrated them really in true, uh, in, in reality. Uh-huh. Um, uh, well, maybe, you know, they deep down inside, like, you know, you know, like, uh, don't believe like what they preach. Uh, they're doing it in order to gain some dunya related, you know, uh, the reward. So it seems to me that there are other routes where a lot more can be earned. Maybe. Uh, Stephanie Mirza. Uh, so 
I think uh, they probably believe it, but um, as I would read in this verse, they think the rules apply differently to them, or they they feel like um, the rules apply to everyone else, and they have like a special understanding of how it should apply to them. That's that's how I would see it. Yeah, I think that's that's zeroing in on on what's going on here. Uh, awesome, you raise your hand. Yeah, I was going to say something similar that uh, they it's it's kind of a having their cake and eating it too type of situation where they they uh, it's also because they we perceive them we being not, not lay people reverent scholars or teachers or or you know just average normal people um, we perceive them as having higher knowledge and so if they're doing something then it must be okay. And, uh, and so they, it's, it's that, yeah, it's, that's, that's what I mean by having their cake and eating it too. It's kind of a, um, abuse of their position of, of power or knowledge kind of thing. And so I'm suggesting that what happens is that people begin to believe their own hype. And, and so in, you know, the, the, all the cases that I've worked on, one of the repeated uh, issues has been that when someone uh, has been caught, they see the exposure of their wrongdoing as detrimental to their following. Meaning I am preserving the Iman of these people. You can't do this. And so this is the strange thing that happens in terms of human nature. That there is a type of enchantment that comes with this type of work. Where you literally believe, you know, like as a few of you mentioned, that there is something special about your work specifically. Now, if that is the case, tie this with the previous group of people. So in... Uh, I were to go. Um, so I twenty one. Those who reject, those who slay the prophets, those who 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 slay the people of justice. That's one group of people, and then we have these people who are given a share of the book. And so, whether they're scholars or preachers or what have you, that are doing their own thing, staying away from being, you know, following the book to be judged. What would be a parallel in terms of personality profile? between these people, the preachers, and then the people we're identifying as people of power. What do you think? Yeah, awesome. Narcissism? So yeah, there's this enchantment of narcissism that develops. And so if we connect this, oh, are you about to say something else awesome? Uh, yeah, I was, I was gonna say probably narcissism driven by cult of personality. So cult of personality is often how it manifests, but it's not even necessarily a cult of, of personality. Uh, but if we start connecting this with, you know, the eyes are at the beginning of this section, right? Made beautiful for the people is the love of these desirable things, women, children, heaps of gold, branded horses, cattle, tillage, so forth and so on. These are the enjoyment of the worldly life. And back then, what do we say? These are things, what is it specifically uh, common about these things? 
that they give you a sense of independence, a sense of power, a sense of, of luxury. And so that can also manifest by having physical power in society, coercive power in society. And what happens when you get too enchanted by these things is you can, so to speak, from a moral compass perspective, you can lose your way to the point that you start opposing prophets to the point of being willing to kill them, like the Quraysh, in killing those people um, who are the people of justice. And then if you're in the circle of preachers, there's also this enchantment of the world. And so, so what is the repeated point here is this, is that your fundamental obstacle <clears throat> is this enchantment of the world, which is also the same thing as narcissism. How would narcissism and enchantment of the world, love of dunya, so narcissism or love of dunya, how would those two things be effectively the same thing? What do you think? Yasin. Um, extreme love of dunya is essentially a sacrificing of your akhira, right? And therefore, what you're saying is, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take what I have in front of me at at the risk of what I could be earning. Um, so I think that that sort of ties to narcissism because narcissists consume, 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 and never give back. There's probably a better way to say what I just. Oh, that was good, Marshall. Uh, Yeah, I think we are, we know, we have a concept of Akhira. So we are saying that, you know, the extreme position is that, you know, they are giving up the Akhira. But if you, if you think like them, then I don't think so. They're even thinking about that far. They're thinking about their status in this dunya. And, you know, if, I mean, we don't know about their mindset is 1400, 1500 years ago, but if you do the same thing here nowadays, the people will ask you why why you're giving me a dawah, what is good about Islam, right? Why, why the, my religion is not good enough? I'm doing so many good deeds. Like yesterday, I think you guys talked about it, about the Bill Gates, right? He's doing a good deed. So if somebody give him a dawah, what would be his answer would be? Okay. All right. Uh, Stephanie Mirza. Yeah, tying the... the strings together from what you've mentioned. Um, the narcissism uh, reminds me of the example in Surah Kaf about the guy with the gardens. And he's got all this great stuff. And he says to his buddy, um, look, I'm so wealthy and you got nothing. And then his friend counsels him and says, you know, remember, um, that this is not going to last and something might even happen to your gardens. And then um, the guy says, um, well, it's better if you read it, I guess. Um, yeah, keep going. That, um, so then when his gardens are destroyed, um, then he says, uh, oh, before that he says, I don't think my gardens will ever perish or any of this. And even if um, they do, I'm gonna get even better in the hereafter. 
so there's like this assumption that you know well even if there is an end to it which i don't think there is it's going to be better than this nothing bad can happen to me and then when things do um go south for him then he says would that i had not ascribed partners to my lord and and there's nothing in this uh section about um deities it's only about his himself so mm-hmm. Yeah, I especially find that part really fascinating uh, where he's he's even suggesting that, yeah, if there's an Akhira, then I'm going to have even better in the Akhira. Mm-hmm. So, other thoughts, reflections? And so the basic question here is, is how does love of dunya relate to narcissism? Sadia is saying narcissists don't care about the consequences. They lack empathy for even themselves, let alone others are inherently ungrateful. They also lack emotional intelligence and are arrogant. So in their arrogance, they don't think of the consequences of their actions, maybe. Yeah, this is especially someone who'd be uh, diagnosed um, in terms of mental health as, as a narcissist. And Jules says they can cons- convince themselves and they believe what they say is the truth. You know? Awesome. Uh, so to push back on one point, uh, I don't think narcissists lack emotional intelligence. Uh, most of the narcissists I have met are actually very well versed in emotional intelligence, which is how they're, how they find it so easy to manipulate those around them. So, yeah, I should, um, and this is my own usage of the term. I have to be cautious against, uh, the term narcissist be, uh, or terms that we might confuse with mental health diagnoses, you know? Uh, and so in the same way, there's depression that is a mental health condition, which is different than what we would call depression hosen as a spiritual condition and and so the same thing for narcissism so whipping out the my happy wonderful whiteboard here i don't know if this drawing is gonna make things any simpler but basically the idea here is that here is me here is in my perception allah and every one of us has a focus that you can identify with an arrow. So ideally, my focus is on Allah, but my biggest obstacle is that my focus is on myself. To the point that I can reach where I forget Allah. And then the eyes is in Surah Al-Hasha, Surah 59, which will basically say, then Allah will make me, and I'm paraphrasing, Allah will then make me forget myself. Uh, I have a question. Um, where do you put the fear of Allah for these sort of people? Like they don't have any concept of fear of Allah at all. So, so because before go, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Before they even think about the hereafter or anything else, they they follow some sort of religion, right? or some shape and form for a religion. So all the monolithic religion start with the fear of Allah. So wanting that, you know, what is, what is the state of the mind for uh, whatever you want to call it, narcissist or mental health issues or mm-hmm. stubbornness yeah, so, so, or so far. So I'm saying, yeah, stay, uh, uh, not getting into like the mental health aspect of this, that would be uh, almost akin to the physical health uh, being a different thing itself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but, but yeah, like uh, those self-pride, right? Or Mm-hmm. That's people. closer. So yeah. the, the easiest first way to measure it is 
uh, when any of us are making our prayers, and I think I might have given this exercise before, uh, look back at your prayer and try to think how much, what percentage of your prayer was actually focused on the law and what percentage of your prayer was not. And that'll give you a hint of how much this arrow is pointing towards you versus how much it's pointing towards the law. And, and so again, for a passing grade, you know, basically you just need to focus on the law for, for a split second, and then you pass. But the point is that for the common believer, uh, it might be that 95% of your prayers focus on yourself. You know, like, okay, I got to do this work and I got this assignment and I got this, this is happening with my family and so forth and so on. While your lips are still reciting the whole prayer. And so, so that, that is also spiritual narcissism. So I'm not saying that this is something unique for a specific type of person. What we're seeing, what we're seeing those ayahs would be the extreme version of it. But uh, Malaha, does the point make sense what I'm saying here? That how much, even if I'm making my prayers, how much I'm focusing on myself is also an indicator. Yeah, and then, <laughs> I mean, on the personal level, you know, sometimes the prayers are really, really good. We can feel good and sometimes it's not that good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, yeah. I mean, even the like the, the idea. I'm, I'm speaking, yeah, I'm speaking about myself. I'm sorry, I'm not saying about anybody. Else. I think uh, everyone understands what you're saying here. Uh, but yeah, I, I, we can talk about the idea of feeling itself. Sometimes that's also misleading too. That also relates to, you know, the, you know, when I feel like I'm not feeling anything, does that mean there's something wrong with my iman? Not necessarily. The reason, the reason I brought this up because of, you know, if I if I try to do something, if I yell on my children, right, sometime. Or if I if somebody asks Only me sometimes something, should be all the time. I mean, look at yeah, them. most, I mean, Mossad most especially, of the time. right? <laughs> and then uh, then same thing happened if somebody asks me something and I don't have it on that time. These, you know, I'm just using some examples, right? Hypothetically, uh, those times the first thing came to my mind is not about hereafter. It came about the the fear of Allah. So I'm just just trying to you know relate to that mm -hmm. thought process. I mean, I think Asha also makes an important point uh, that she's saying, in my experience, a lot of other religious groups don't fear God or Allah. They see him as being all forgiving. I never feared his wrath as a Christian. I was very, very practicing. I think that is something that is common to Orthodox Judaism and much more in history than even today. And then it's also much more common among us and it's much more common among Orthodox Christianity. Um, whereas in Catholicism, it kind of goes in a number of directions and Protestants is focused much more on the love of God. Having said all that, yeah, trying to, the, the central question that, that, I'm, uh, that I'm asking is, <clears throat> so moving beyond what is the relationship between love of dunya and, and love of self, but this power of love of self, consider what it can make a person do. Uh, Ahant and then Sadia. Um, you know, um, s sort of like, you know, like related to this in, in terms of, you know, internalizing the day of judgment, you know, uh, uh, sort of when we're going through life, I feel like me included, me especially, you know, I'm not sort of like negating myself is that I feel like a, I think a lot of people can, they, day of judgment is almost a like conceptualized, it's like an idea. 
what would you suggest to like you know make it more real because mm-hmm. especially going through the quran it's 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 plagued with reminders mm-hmm. um and, you know so like obviously you know allah subhanahu is sort of calling our like attention to that mm-hmm. you know like what are some you know practical exercises i'd say mm-hmm. um and, and would you suggest you know because i feel like we all you know like struggle with so so you're also uh tapping into this same point about the relationship between love of the self or focus on the self and love of dunya is that the more you focus on yourself the more everything else except for the material world the more everything else becomes imaginary even if we may not admit that it's imaginary and one of the first things to to reach that imaginary hazy level would be the day of judgment and even if we don't admit it to ourselves, perhaps Allah himself becomes imaginary for us. But the more this arrow is focused on me, then the greatness, the grandeur, and power of Allah, I might have an intellectual concept, but I haven't really internalized it. And the more that I'm focusing on myself, the physical world is something more real to me, especially because it's in the physical world that I'm going to feed my physical appetites. Which then means that which is in the unseen, especially the day of judgment, becomes much more imaginary. And they've literally tapped into like the, the, the answer to the question. And so part of the treatment then becomes that I have to become more selfless and self less. Let me explain these points. So, so one point is the more the arrow, and what do I mean by the arrow? My focus, my attention uh, uh, points to me. the more all else becomes imaginary. Because why? Because it can't feed my appetites. So, for example, uh, think of how sincere your prayers are um, if you're waiting uh, to hear a diagnosis from the physician about the possibility of having a horrendous disease. Or think about how, how, uh, how sincere your prayers are when you might be getting a bill um, that's going to be outrageous in terms of cost. Or think about, uh, you know, how sincere your prayers would be now to get into examples sort of tried, tied from the Quran that, you know, you're in a plane that's beginning to, to waver and it starts falling. And then all the fluff and dunya, you don't care about anything anymore, right? Then it becomes ultra need. So then the treatment... The treatment for spiritual narcissism 
this is the basic treatment. You might need something more intensive is to become selfless and selfless. This is focused on your actions and this is focused on your consciousness. So for example, those of you who are in this room who are parents, all of you understand the second point because you might spend more time thinking about the well-being of your child than you think about yourself. And then, then by extension, you're also doing the first point, spending more time to take care of your child than to take care of your own self. And so, so the simple idea here is that how do I shift the focus away from me? I shift the focus towards service and take caring and love of others. And then a better version of that is that I'm, I'm turning my focus towards further and further service to Allah, which means obedience to Allah. Now, what this also means is that the more that this arrow is pointing to me, the more likely I'm going to be susceptible of other spiritual illnesses like doubt. That often doubt isn't just, okay, you know, I'm not sure about this. How do I know this is true? Often doubt is a symptom where the actual illness is I'm focusing so much on myself. Uh, let's see. Uh, Sadia, Asim, and then Ahant, did you, did you raise your hand up again? Or is this just from before? From before. Okay. Sadia. Um, so you um, already um, discussed that point in much detail. Um, that's what I was going to say, that this is spiritual narcissism that you mentioned often reflects in our duas, where we focus much more on what we want from Allah rather than what he wants from us. And so that's what my point was. So, Yeah, that's a, a very, very important point, mashallah. And keep in mind... Allah Ta'ala is telling us to, to ask for anything and everything according to whatever we want, especially whatever we need. And then he's saying, but also listen to me too. Uh, awesome. Um, this might be getting into another discussion about modern American Islam, but uh, so we're saying the goal is to try and be more conscious of Allah during our prayers, right? So well, in everything, but prayers is the easiest place to, to do some evaluation. Okay, continue. Sure. Sorry. Um, but what does that look like? Like, how do we go about doing that? What does, what does consciousness of Allah actually mean in our day-to-day -day life? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so you do understand uh, when I'm talking about consciousness of Allah in prayer, yeah? Like that part? Sort of. Okay. Like, like I think I think one of the things is because while we acknowledge and, and believe that Allah is very real, it's the without sort of more attributes than like like without physical attributes, it sort of becomes an an exercise in personification in a in a i don't even know how to describe it but it feels uh like it feels like a lot harder to do and and i'm like obviously we're all, i'm always trying but i do find myself like drifting to 
all the stuff I have to do. That's yeah, it's normal during the day, right? And so, so what I'm asking is is basically for a prescription of how to fix that. So, so one of the points I don't know if it was in this class or the other class um, uh, is that very often we are positioning our relationship with Allah in our heads as opposed to our hearts, and in our hearts it's focus, you'll be focused more on learning or yearning. I mean, in, in your head, in your mind, you'll be focused more on understanding. And so, so, uh, I mean, I'll give you a, a simple example. When my first daughter was born, is she here today? No, she's not here. Why is she here? Anyway. So when, when, when Jenna was born, uh, it was like every single day, in, in the NICU, the neonatal intensive care unit, we get some new news of some, something horrible, right? Like she has a hole in her heart one day. I mean, the first was just that she, you know, she was born with her umbilical cord wrapped around her, her neck. And she was literally the green, the color of a dollar bill. Like that's literally, and then, you know, babies cry, she didn't cry. She's just like, hey man, what's going on? You know, like that's, that's what she was like when she was born. And then uh, she wouldn't feed. She had a hole in her heart another day, and then she had some other infection uh, another day. It was like every single day. And so uh, with that, with the first child, it was type of bizarro devastation that I've never experienced before. And so it's literally the feeling of absolute powerlessness and absolute need of Allah. There are other people here in the class who've also had, you know, very, very serious experiences, you know, regarding their children and such. And so, so, you know, they, they, they know exactly what, what I'm talking about here. And so, so in your heart, that is your realm of yearning. And you want to focus on your yearning. And so the easiest thing these days is think about the hunger you have, uh, especially an hour before iftar or half an hour before I start, especially after a long day. And, and so when we speak of fasting as literally walking taqwa, part of the idea is that you're fully on guard and your focus is literally on your need. I have this thirst. And so focus on Allah according to your needs in your prayer. Focus on Allah according to your needs when you're making du'a. And then focus on Allah outside of your prayers according to need. The hard part, you know, I'm always railing about American Islam because part of American Islam is an Islam of luxury, right? That you know, when you go on Hajj, it's easy to identify all the Americans because we're all fat. You know, even those that are slender are still super thick compared to you know some guy from from a village in Pakistan or Afghanistan, right? And and so. Because of full stomachs, it's easy to forget your needs. And so focus on your yearning as a starting point. Uh, Olfat. Um, I'm trying to tie the discussion we're having on spiritual narcissism to two prior discussions. And I think maybe part of it was answered now was how like our attention is pulled in all different directions and that affects the quality of our prayer. Um, and also when we're talking about patience and how that's kind of the second step and the first step is acknowledging our emotions. Isn't that part of the arrow being pointed at us? And if we don't do that, then we're kind of bypassing and it's not authentic. So how do we tie that to the discussion today? 
Okay, so so in terms of of uh, authenticity, there's real authenticity, and then there's the there's the appetite of the nuffs. Yeah. And so uh, authenticity is when I'm speaking of real authenticity. Uh, as a community, we've been very conditioned to say everything we're supposed to say. So, for example, on on social media, you have someone who has a death in the family, and then you know what a what a fifty people post on on um, you know on their uh, after their post. So, my my uncle has passed away, and then what do people start posting? Anyone? Do they mean it? Yes. But is it, are they just going through the proper motions? Like these are the pleasantries you're supposed to share in that moment. And so I'm not calling a single person insincere, but I am suggesting that very often we've fallen into the motions that this is what I'm supposed to say in this moment. This is what I'm supposed to say in that moment. And so I've done my inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. Okay, on to the next post. Oh, look, here's what Israel's doing. Oh, on to the next post. Look, global warming. Oh, here, here's here's kittens. And so so the point is that, <laughs> that I'm making is that so much of, of our contemporary practice of Islam, I'm calling inauthentic in the sense that we're f- addressing things according to just what we should say. Oh, we must all turn to Allah. You know, that's uh, as opposed to what is really taking place in our heart. Because what is taking place for that person who's had the death in the family, they appreciate every single post, but they're still alone having to cope with what they've gone through. Right. And so, so that's what I mean by, you know, authenticity in terms of, of, of real authenticity. And I got to explain the nuffs part in a second. And so, so part of, you know, my whole focus is to acknowledge that that's not a bad thing, but that's not where the stuff of life is. Is that's, that's not where the stuff of, of Dean really is. It's in your real connection to Islam, to, to Allah. So when we imagine Omar's personality, you know, the way even we teach Omar's personality, it seems as though, you know, he mean what he means what he says, he says what he means. There's no filter there. Right. And when we imagine uh, Musa's personality, peace be upon him, same thing, right? We really feel like, you know, he means what he says, says what he means. When we imagine Abu Bakr and Ibrahim, however, we also we often make them uh, above human. That Abu Bakr is just so perfect. But look at the narrations. You know, he's actually very, very human in some of the things that he says and does. And so does that make sense in terms of what I'm talking about in terms of authenticity? It's shifting from the pleasantries to actually figuring out what we really feel and what we really think. But that should not be confused with the narcissism of the nafs. And so I might've given this example before here in other classes that I have this student who, <clears throat> who uh, has uh, said some things like, I, I refuse to believe that alcohol is haram. I, re- I refuse to believe that zina is haram. Like these are the things he's saying. That for him, all of these are part of the authentic self. And that the journey of the person is to figure out what are they authentically and live authentically. And in his case, his sleeping schedule is from our perspective, a common person's perspective, upside down. He's awake all night, asleep all day. And I saw where this conversation is going. So I asked him, when was the last time you were happy? 
And he's like, only in Ramadan. Ramadan's the only time I'm happy. Why? What's the math here? That the nafs is always saying, feed me. And when you feed it, you feel that small glimpse of, 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 of joy. But then a few minutes later, the nafs is again saying, feed me. And eventually the nafs is going to say, all right, the halal is not enough. You got to go into the gray area. Okay. And the gray area is not enough. You're going to have to go into the haram. But you're not going to be perceiving that. You're just perceiving, okay, I need to fulfill my appetite. And so his, he was literally embodying everything in reverse. And why did he love Ramadan so much? Because you're literally, you know, locking down your nafs completely. And so I'm suggesting a lot of today's discourse about authenticity is literally just listening to what the nafs is saying. And the nafs is not your friend. Make sense? Any other questions or thoughts? Uh, how would the focus on Allah in time of need look like you mentioned, look in du'as? Could you please give an example? Okay, so just, so Sadia, think of, you know, uh, you know those, those deep pains in, in your heart, things that you really, really, really wish you could have that you don't even share with yourself and ask for those things. And, and essentially one of the, I mean, a different exercise than the gratitude exercise is, is the yearning exercise to try to really figure out in the period of a day, what are all the things you yearn for? Again, the more a person's stomach is full, the more their sense of yearning is going to be completely clouded. Any other questions or thoughts or reflections? Okay, so we still have a few more minutes. Let me see what's uh, what the next part of the eye was. Um, okay. okay, so we will look at Ayah 24 and 25, inshallah, tomorrow. And I made a huge mistake. I thought uh, um, all the calculations people said that Eid was Wednesday. It turns out all the calculations people said Eid is Thursday. So we will inshallah still have class tomorrow, but it will potentially either be the last class or for those who are interested, we might still have another class the next day. But uh, we'll, we'll figure it out tomorrow evening after class inshallah. Okay. Any last questions or thoughts? So again, what is the, what is uh, the overall point of today's discussion? The overall point of today's discussion is that the love of the self, love of the dunya are essentially the same thing. And for the lay person, they may manifest by those desirable things, you know, having horses and this and that, gold and silver. For the person in power, it will manifest by wanting to keep the status quo even at the cost of human life. And for the preacher, they're literally giving up their salvation for love of self. And we'll see that more in like the next eyes, inshallah. But the these different consequences of love of self uh, manifest different ways depending upon where what is your position in society. And keep in mind, a person who possesses nothing can also have love of self as well. There's a story in, in Rumi's writings of this family that for dinner, they have rats. They basically, they take these roasted rats and, and some people are walking by 
and they're just getting grossed out looking at you know the rats getting getting slaughtered and then cooked and then eaten and the family that's eating rats you know they're saying look at all these people who are jealous of us so they wish they, they had what we had in any case there's more to that story we will stop right here and then we will either wrap it up tomorrow or we'll continue tomorrow subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashadu la ilaha illa anta Nastafiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta. Nastafiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta. Nastafiruka wa natubu ilayk. May Allah tell the word to you all, inshallah. And we'll see you tomorrow. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.